Lord, we, we come this morning um, thankful. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the blessings you brought into our lives. We are thankful for our families. I know for a lot of us, we are spending time with family this weekend, um, during the holiday. Uh, for some of us whose our families are, we're unable to be with because they're far away, or we're just unable to see them, Lord, um, Lord, we pray for those. We pray that this weekend would be fun and, and relaxing and enjoyable and refreshing, Lord. Lord, we pray for us who are, who are struggling, who are having a hard time finding rest and having a hard time finding refreshment, Lord. Lord, there, many of us are weary, but we ask for rest. Our days are heavy with obligations, our nights disturbed by worries. Give us rest, Lord. We are tired of battling old temptations and, and sins and tired of our defeats and tired of our from despairing over them. We ask for rest. We are tired from trying to help people who resist our help, people that we care for, people that need help but will not take it, Lord. He will not listen. It troubles us. Pray that you would give us rest. Gracious God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who welcomes all who are weary and burdened, inviting us to to care, he advised us that he would care for us, that his caring would be put upon us. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light and our hearts are restless until they come to rest in you, Lord. We ask for rest. Lord, as you teach us about the Sabbath this morning, may we come away with this understanding rest and understanding, Lord, your provision. May we no longer tarry and labor and try to find rest in our, through our own strength and through things of this world, Lord, but yet we would find rest solely in you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our uh, passage is in Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible, it's on the screen as well, so you can follow along. But if you're ready to read it, the words are small. Um, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in his hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he uh, entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the, the presence of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave to those with him. And he, sat, he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered or paralyzed. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew that their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and, he, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did. So, and his hand was restored. But they, being the Pharisees and the scribes, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they may do, might do to Jesus. 
this God's word given to his people. Um, there's an a interesting book I read, um, I think it was this past summer, called Mission Drift. And basically the, the, music, the, the book is about how as institutions or organizations or companies, schools, can start with an original purpose, an original mission statement, and then years down the road, how they drift from that original purpose. Um, he kind of, they, they kind of introduced the, the book with talking about Harvard and Yale. Um, Harvard, their, uh, their mission statement was, when they first started in 1636, to be, plainly instru- to, pl- to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. When it first started, that was its original mission statement. This statement described their founding mission. Harvard began as a school to equip ministers to share the good news. But they started to drift from that mission statement. Actually, not too, uh, almost about 100 years after their original start, they started to waver and started to drift away from their original mission statement. And then a a clergyman named Cotton Mathers came around and and saw this and observed how Harvard was drifting away from their original uh, mission statement, and he Uh, approached a wealthy man who shared his concerns. This man's last name was Yale. Financed their efforts in 1718, and they named the college after him, the institution today known as Yale University. Yale's motto was not just truth, like Harvard, but light and truth. And, And again, its original mission statement was to train and equip ministers of the gospel. And they also drifted from their original mission statement. Uh, I thought this was interesting as well that uh, in, in the Middle Ages, the, the church sponsored a charity similar to modern-day urban food banks. They created as an alternative to loan sharks. And the, in these institutions, these things that they started were to help poor people manage, uh, manage their income. These charities provided low-interest loans to poor families, ensuring there was enough food on the table. Started by monks who opened more than 150 of these, of these institutions, they became widespread throughout Europe. In 1514, even Pope Julius II gave an edict endorsing them. These institutions were the lifeblood of poor European peasants. They are known today as pawn shops. Pawn shops we don't see as, as helpers of the poor, that people can go and get help. Instead, pawn shops are places that are typically opened and, and, and run in, in bad parts of town and tend to infringe and, and, and use and take advantage of the poor, not to help the poor. There's also an organization that was started in 1938 by Calvin Clark. He was a man of deep convictions about the poor, and he had traveled on a number of mission trips around the world and had been affected most by the suffering of innocent children. The first outreach from his new organization was to Chinese children in response to the orphan crisis following the Japanese War. The ministry expanded and soon changed the name to Christian Children's Fund. He cared deeply about ministering the gospel in word and deed to orphan children in China. To fund the efforts, Clark invented child sponsorships, an innovative approach built around connecting donors directly to individual children. Clark's organization escalated to charity celebrity status. Throughout the 1980s and the early 1990s, Christian Children's Fund was all over the television. They ran lengthy documentary infomercials hosted by Hollywood stars. And during the shows, these stars would cover provocative and tragic stories of global poverty, famine, and war. 
1994, the organization served nearly 2 million children through children's sponsorship with a budget of over $100 million. In 2011, Forbes named Christian Children's Fund one of the 100 largest charities in the country. An identity crisis by the 1990s, Christian Children's Fund's very identity was called into question. In an interview with Christianity Today, Thomas Norler, a, a former board member, said this organization has nothing to do with Christianity. A decade later, a charity watch uh, dog and shoot a donor alert warning Christian Children's Fund may be misleading many Christian donors because of its marketing as a Christian organization. And its president acknowledged the change in the identity of the organization and changed the name to Child Fund International, dropping its Christian purpose. I just gave you basically four institutions that started with an original purpose and drifted from their mission. The meaning or original purpose of an institution or charity over time can change. Most organizations have not willingly, consciously changed directions. Most have not volitionally chosen to soften their Christian distinctiveness. Neither Harvard nor Yale had a mission change day where they mopped out, mapped out their new identity. Instead, they drifted quietly, gradually, slowly, and one day they hardly resemble the institutions their founders intended. We see from the story today that we have a similar uh, thing going on as well, that the Sabbath and the institution of the Sabbath had drifted from its original purpose. And just to kind of present some context before we get to verse 1 of chapter 6, that for some of you who haven't been here and haven't listened to the sermons that led up to this, but the community of, Gen- of Galilee, the community of Galilee was, were astonished with Jesus. I mean, they were amazed by Jesus' teachings, by his healings, his preaching and his teaching was the talk of the region. People were seeking him, and all who were sick were coming to him for healing. I mean, at that time, if he was Jesus was around today, his podcast would have been ranked high on iTunes. People would have listened to his teachings. They would be eager to, in their cars, listen to what Jesus had taught. <clears throat> Businesses would have wanted to run ads at his events because there were so many people there. Jesus was like the Marvel movies of the day. They were top billing. I mean, people were coming from so far just to hear him talk, just to hear him speak. Luke 5, 1 says the crowds were pressing in on him to hear the word of God. I mean, he, there were so many people coming to hear him talk. He had to teach from a boat to be able to actually teach to all the people. Jesus' fame and his popularity caused people from Jerusalem to come to check on him. It'd be like if someone important here in Evansville, uh, some, uh, some business leader, some speaker, some pastor had become really popular and famous here. And the people of Indy, of Indy would have to make a journey down to Evansville to hear him speak. This is kind of what we have here. These people in Jerusalem and Judea had heard these rumors of Jesus and his great teaching and kind of started to make the journey to hear him speak. They were all amazed by his power and, were, and when he healed the paralytic man. But things began to change. A growing hostility is sparked towards Christ by the religious leaders of Israel. It all starts with Jesus' choice to eat and dine and party with Levi or Matthew, the tax collectors. And the tax collectors' friends. Luke tells us that the Pharisees and their scribes, who painfully and rigorously copied by hand every letter of the law, and, and had a problem with Jesus' choice of company. The Pharisees and scribes are by the letter of the law, guys. I mean, by the letter of the law, dudes. And they were quick to judge those who 
wavered from the letter of the law. They are committed to strict religious discipline. They were not under any circumstance. They will not under any circumstance relent or compromise. If Jesus wants to be an influential religious leader, he can't spend his time with tax collectors and their scandalous friends. They are seen grumbling openly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? Put another way, if you want to be successful, stop hanging out with these people and start spending your time with us. Welcome to high school, right? I mean, there's this division and tribalism going on. Jesus doesn't understand the proper structure. Religious people hang out with religious people. The, dunk, the drunkards and the roughnecks go over there. They are unclean. You're not supposed to spend your time with them. It's not appropriate. It's not proper. Jesus says, I'm not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And the Pharisees and the scribes are insulted by Jesus. What do you mean? You didn't come to hang out with us. We're the ones you should hang out with. We're the ones that are religious. We're the ones that love God's law. These people hate God and are unclean. You should spend your time with us. They're insulted, offended by Jesus. Jesus' choice of friends is foolish or careless. He's choosing the lower class over the higher class. They start to question his teaching and actions. As Sean preached last week, when disciples of John fast often and offer prayer, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, talking about Jesus' disciples, you eat and drink. uh, Sean pointed out uh, well last week that their lack of understanding of the season, Christ Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, is with them. This is a time for celebration, not for mourning, not for fasting. Yet they are not excited about Jesus' presence. They prefer the old wine over the new. They do not want change. They do not want, they do not want redemption by faith for all. Rather, they want their identity before God to be determined by their sacrifice, by their strict observance of the rituals and traditions. And they become to believe that their way of life is under assault. Jesus is seen by them as attacking their well-established and secure religious institution and awarding the unclean and the lawless. That hostility continues to intensify when we get to Luke chapter 6. And so the title of the sermon is Lord of Everything. And there's images of that Jesus is Lord of, of, of church, government, uh, relationships, money, work, and family. And so I just have like three points just from this, this text. If you go to the next slide. The first set of verses, verse 1 through 2, uh, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Again, uh, Luke likes to use this phrase, it happened during this time, it happened on this day. When he says in verse 1, it happened on the Sabbath. The common introduction to Luke's apostles. I remember watching 24, the TV show 24, I remember when it first started, it was the ding, 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 and, and Jack Bauer would come on, or Keeper Sutherland would say, these events took place between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. And Luke kind of uses the same phrasing, it happened, to kind of introduce what's about to follow. So what follows happens on the Sabbath, which is an important day in the weekly calendar for the Jews, Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And he provides that you shouldn't do any work for your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourners who is, within, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Observe the Sabbath. On the seventh day of the week, rest from your work. It's in the Ten Commandments. Take it pretty seriously. 
So this was a part of their weekly calendar. This was a part of their weekly rhythm. The Sabbath was introduced by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had made, that he had done in creation. So it wasn't like in the Ten Commandments God introduces the Sabbath day, this new institution. Actually, it's established in creation. That on the seventh day is a unique day. It was uniquely placed as the day that symbolizes completion and satisfaction with the activities of the week. God was not tired from his work. It wasn't like God needed to take a break, that he needed a 10-minute break, and so he instituted the Sabbath. But declared a day of rest as an establishment for his, crea- for his creation, the proper rhythm to life. The Sabbath was a gift. It was a gift. Not a, not a, uh, that's some regulation or some law or some burden. It was a gift to the people, to his creation. And it was also a gift to the nation of Israel. It was a gift to Israel to establish a proper rhythm and pattern to their way of life. Therefore, God commands the nation of Israel to observe a Sabbath rest like God himself did in his creation. While remembering the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples uh, were described as walking through grain fields. And it says that they were plucking grain and eating the head of grain and then rubbing them in their hands. So you may think, well, maybe the Pharisees had an issue because they were stealing. They were stealing grain from a farmer's grain field. We read Peter Rabbit a lot to our kids. And Peter Rabbit was stealing from the farmer. I mean, he was stealing carrots and radishes. And and hence why the farmer wanted to kill the rabbit. Kind of a scary story to read to children anyways. Um... And so, but the Pharisees, I mean, the disciples aren't stealing. They're not Peter Rabbit. The Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you should not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. It means like you can't just take a tool and go to town and collecting all of the food, but while you walk, if you're hungry from your journey, you're allowed to pluck from the farmer's grain field. So in Ruth, in Ruth, Ruth as well, Ruth chapter 2, gleaned from the grain of Boaz's field to provide food for her and Naomi. And it was okay. It wasn't condemned. It was lawful to eat standing grain from a field. The Jewish law says it's cool. You can do it. Ruth did it. So there shouldn't be a problem here. There should be no issue. But some, it's, it's some, not all of them, but some of them, the, the real diehards of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? You could just, and Sean did a really good job last week, just kind of showing they're just annoying. I mean, they are annoying people. I mean, they're just kind of standing around just, just waiting to say something. And they, as Sean said, they're snipers. They're just waiting in the fields. Why are you doing that that's not lawful on the Sabbath? So in a sense, we have a religious doctrine battle going on. Everyone's favorite activity when people start to argue about doctrine and theology, right? Happens in seminary, uh, coffee shops. I hate theological debates. Because you're like, you all agree. Stop arguing. Like, you all say the same thing, but yet you just want to argue. There's a great SNL skit that came out. I don't know if you ever watched it. I'm not condoning watching SNL, even though I enjoy it. It's really funny. Uh, I am one on Sunday to then go see the skits on um, on the, the, the on YouTube after Saturday. Uh, they did one when Jimmy Fallon was on, and it was called The Turtle Shirt. Have you seen this? 
and it was like a shirt that they were uh, that did these advertisements in SNL, and it was called a turtle shirt. Like if you're in a conversation and it gets really really awkward, or you say something and you become really shameful, it's a shirt that you can that turns into a turtle shell, and your head just kind of disappears into the shirt. It's a great it's a great skit because you know you've been in those scenarios where you wish you could just go into a turtle shell. And I would have been this person during this conversation that Jesus is having with these, these Pharisees. I would want to enter into a turtle shell and get out because I just, when you get into those theological debates, it can just get really annoying to be in these. So you have these people and they're just like, why are you doing what is unlawful? Um, so they saw the disciples' action as harvesting. They were harvesting. It was their issue. Exodus 34, 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time, you should rest. So they're saying, what the disciples are doing are not just eating grain. They're harvesting grain. They're farming. They're farming. They were seen by the Pharisees as reaping, meaning plucking the grain, thrusting it, separating the head of the grain, winnowing it, removing the remains, and then preparing it. Like they were preparing. When you eat something from a tree that's not preparing, that's you plucking and just eating. That's not harvesting. Not harvesting uh, berries from a tree that you pluck to just eat there on site. That's not harvesting. But this, the, the Pharisees saw that as harvesting. What was lawful on the Sabbath? What were you allowed to do on the Sabbath? Exodus 31.12 says, uh, Luke's, uh, Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and your thoughtful and throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profane, profane from it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it and souls shall be cut off from among the people. Six days shall work be done. The seventh day, a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generation as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The problem with all that, yes, it's a serious institution and should be taken seriously because of the Jews. The problem was is that the Pharisees had added on to what God had commanded. So their law on the Sabbath continued far longer than what we see here in Luke, Exodus chapter 31. So most of what the Pharisees had issued with with the disciples had nothing to do with God's law, had nothing to do with what was in the Old Testament, had all to do with the laws they actually created. And it is ridiculous. There's actually a book that I read this week that talks about the ridiculousness of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders on their views on the Sabbath. And it was a book called Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And I don't want to go through all of them because they're, they're just very minute. But basically, it, well, there's actually one that's quite funny that you couldn't pick. Actually, you couldn't carry anything heavier than a dry fig. If you carried anything like a bag, that would be considered labor. If you threw something into the air, you could not catch it with the same hands. That would be considered labor. You can't catch it in your mouth. It literally says that. You can throw something in the air and catch it in your mouth, and that would be not a sin. If your teeth fell out of your mouth, you were unable to pick them up, that would be considered labor. If an earring fell out of your ear and fell to the floor, you were unable to pick it up, that was considered labor. None of these things were in the Old Testament. None of these things were in the, in the Bible. They were added on by the Pharisees. And that was their issue. And basically, to summarize all that, 
it was impossible to keep the Sabbath by their laws. Therefore, the Pharisees had problems with the disciples eating grain that they plucked and ate. They had defined what is true and proper. They made burdensome what God had to had originally given as a blessing to his people. And God is the giver and Lord over the Sabbath. They had basically defined what the Sabbath was on their own apart from God. The second set of verses, verses 3 through 5, what is the extent of Jesus' lordship? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and and this, and he and and, and those who were with him. So Jesus uh, must have been a great debater, like one of the best. Because he's so cool and collective. I mean, he's not, he's not led to anger or defensive. He doesn't get emotional and say, how dare you question what my disciples do? He doesn't say that. He's thoughtful and direct. Learning to be thoughtful and kind with those who challenge your belief is something that Jesus models here. Not afraid or defensive when people question the reason for what you believe. Jesus, like he did in Luke chapter 4 with the devil's temptation, uses the Bible as his defense. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It corrects. It defends us. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Matthew 10, 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, what you are to say, or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So Jesus is referring to an episode in David's life, which is recorded in 1 Samuel 21, 1-7, where David and his men are running from King Saul. They are fear of death. Saul, King Saul is trying to kill David and his men, and they're running away. They are just desperately hungry. David asks Amalek the priest for bread. Amalek the priest provides holy bread from the tabernacle, which was unlawful for anyone other than the priest to eat. The basic needs of David and his men are more important than the ceremonial regulations. And God provides for David in his time of need through Amalek, the priest, and the bread. Jesus uses the episode in David's life to say he's greater than David. He's greater than King David. Jesus says to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The purpose, the true purpose of the Sabbath is to lay out is laid out by God. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is greater than David. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath has been abused and corrupted by the legalism of the Pharisees. They established their own system of provision. They established their own path of salvation. They have formed a process to earn their place before God through their own efforts. And they were self-made men. The Sabbath actually symbolizes the provision of God to us. That he provide for his people. That salvation and deliverance comes through him and not by the strict observance of rules and regulations. Christ Jesus is the provision given by God the Father to bring rest and satisfaction to our souls. The provision of peace and freedom to worship God and enjoy him as his people. That's the point of the Sabbath. That we remember it and keep it because God has provided for us and he will provide for us during that day of rest. Not as something to uh, burdensome and, 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 and more regulations that is impossible to keep, as the Pharisees did. Our society is built with a strong belief in self-reliance. We're really not that different than the Pharisees here. I mean, my, we're, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I, can't, I can figure it out on my own. Dependence or anything is seen as a crutch. We hear that all the time. I don't want to ask for help. I can figure it out on my own. 
We struggle, many of us struggle with shame when put in situations where, they, where we need the help of other people. We establish rules for succeeding in life that establish our autonomy and self-worth. Yet the consequence is rest is unattainable. Work never ends, especially today. You know, when cell phones came out and, 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 and email came out, it was like, oh, people will have so much free time with all this new technology. Instead, we work more, not less. We rest less. Not more. Work never ends. There's a fear of being seen as unreliable or lazy or uncommitted if we take rest. Desiring to be elevated and noticed, we follow the rules hoping we earn self-worth. Yet Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Rest and satisfaction and victory and peace are only in Him. Not by following uh, all these rules or winning all the games or acing all the tasks or achieving profit growth every quarter after quarter or raising perfect children. That doesn't equal rest. The cool and refreshing dive in a pool on a hot day is not considered a crutch, even though it's helpful. It provides refreshment. It's the proper provision for our needs. Jesus Christ is the proper provision for our rest. Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30 All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's so interesting about that passage in Mark 11 is the next Passage is this story. That rest only comes to rest. We all labor. We're all laborers. You all work hard. None of y'all are, I, I know most of you, you're, you work hard. You work hard for your families. No one's saying that's a wrong thing or a bad thing. You're all heavy laden. You all deal with stress. You all deal with frustrations. You deal with people at work who don't fulfill what they're supposed to fulfill or students don't fulfill what they're supposed to fulfill or other people that you're relying upon. We're all heavy laden. So we are the audience of that passage. Come to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, and he will give you rest. No one and no thing can give you rest, only Christ alone, because he's the Lord of the Sabbath and nothing else. The last set of verses, this last little story is, how should we honor God? Verse 6 through 11. So again, it happened on another Sabbath. A man with a withered hand or a paralyzed hand was in the synagogue where Jesus was teaching. And the scribes and Pharisees were watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So that they might find a reason to accuse him. To bring an accusation against him. I mean, these are adults acting like children. (laughs) Maggie has just found out how to like tattletale, right? Lincoln did this, Lincoln did that. It's like she's ready to say it. Like she's like, it's like her job is to, is to say, ah, I saw something and Lincoln did it. I mean, these guys are just like them. They're just like children. Feasting off the opportunity to tell mom and dad that their brother or sister did something naughty. Today they're the... Today there's a fear of political correctness, right? I mean, people are afraid to make mistakes on Facebook or social media, waiting to be accused of people of offensive words or statements. There's, again, I'm, I'm just really hitting myself hard with the SNL stuff. But um, there's a, a skit not too long ago with Will Ferrell in it, and uh, they were talking about the Me Too movement and Aziz Azari. And it was like a, a, three couples eating dinner. 
and they don't really. And and one of the one of the girls in the conversation, hey, hey, have you read the article? And they're like, oh no, you brought up that. Oh no, what are we going to talk about? We can't talk about this. And and they just fumble over their words, being able to talk about these issues about. Uh, gender issues and race issues, and they just are just ah, oh, they're, they're afraid to make mistakes. And then, and one of them will like say something, and the other one's like, "Watch it!" And they're sort of like, "Hold on!" And they're just having a difficult time being able to explain it. And I feel like Jesus is that way in his disciples. They walk one step, and his disciples, the first is like, "Oh, you're doing something unlawful." These guys are just humming around, waiting for Jesus to offend them and their religious traditions. And Jesus calls these men to attention. I mean, Jesus is saying, come on. He brings this guy into their midst, this guy with the withered hand. And he asks this man to stand in the midst of them all. And they're all surrounded. I don't know how this is working out. I don't know if it's a circle. They bring this guy into the circle. I ask you, Jesus says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus calls them out. He doesn't even like have a conversation with them. He just says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? They have elevated rules over compassion. They care little of the man with the paralyzed hand. They care little of his hardship. They care little of, of his pain. They care only for their rules. The idea of honoring God is strict observance of rituals and traditions that are not even from God, but formulated by them. It was not against God's law on the Sabbath to help someone in need. They misunderstood the point of the Sabbath. And the Bible, and the Bible which they claim to love, actually disagrees with them. Isaiah 1, 11 through 17 says, What to man is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me who has required of you for trampling of my court, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New, new moons and Sabbath, Sabbath and the calling of conviction. Con- convection. I cannot endure inequities in Salem assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. This is in the Bible. And the Pharisees ignored it. There's actually another passage in Isaiah 58, 6-14, which says a very similar thing. I don't care for your sacrifices. I don't care for your strict burden because you don't care about people. You are ignorant of the oppressed. They refuse to answer Jesus' question. Based on their reaction to the man's healing, they would prefer the man stay paralyzed than the regulations on the Sabbath be broken. They were breakers of the law. It is unlawful to destroy life or to do harm, yet they chose what was unlawful. In this story, the, the law, unlawful ones are the Pharisees. Honoring God is done by showing compassion and mercy. Is bringing helpless children into your home, which some of you have done. It's showing compassion and mercy on one who may ruin your perfectly designed evening. That is honoring God. How the world view, and this is a great observation. How does the world view the church? How does it view the church? What does it think that we actually care about? 
This is an, an article that Tom Reiner puts talking about someone whose observation of the church. And, and, and her accusation is that unwilling to develop true friendships with non-believers. As a mother of young children in a homeschool, this is, a, this is actually a non-believer. This is her, her word. As a mother of young children in a homeschooling environment, we found ourselves surrounded by Christians. Of course, these, the kids would become friends, and we moms would chat while they play. Without a single exception, the acquaintanceship would only progress to the point that I had to make it clear that no, I would not accept Jesus as my personal savior, and no, I would not attend that, their church. Then the Christians never called again. And I was left to explain to my sad children why their new friends wouldn't be playing with them anymore. When my son was just, the boys down the street told him he was not allowed to play with them because he wasn't a Christian. I went down to see what was going on because my four-year-old daughter was going to be go down there and teach those boys a lesson. And I confirmed that my son had reported what was indeed what they had said. And the mother of one was right out in the front yard, 25 feet from me, pretending to be a very focused on trimming some plants. She never said a word. Finally, a six-year-old girl across the street told my kids, uh, ages seven and nine, uh, that if they weren't Christians, they would be going to hell. She certain, certainly learned the good news, and your Christians wonder why we non-Christians avoid you. It's not because you intimidate by your awesomeness and, is not, and are just sitting here pining for your wishes you would like us. We already know you don't like us. That is not following God's word. I think sometimes we think Christianity is a job description. Like, it's a, like what am I supposed to do? Tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I will do it. What do I need to know for the test? Uh, and teachers always argue about this. That all these students want to know what's on the test. They don't want to learn anything. That's right. What do I need to know on the test? What's going to be on the test? Hey, they're going to be a study guide because they need to know what's going to be on the test. Because they, they, they go to school just to get just, just just to take tests. What is required of me? What are the rules? What do I need to do to pass the test? And this is what people are told: go to church occasionally, act like a Christian before certain people, vote Republican. Listen to Kayla. If we do all the rules to people's satisfaction, we're good and honoring to God. Yet we ignore the laws. We walk right past them like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan that is not expected of us. We're not expected to help. We're just expected to go to church and to listen to Kayla and to put a fish on our car. That's what's expected of us. That is just too much. It's unessential. Some of us have become the Pharisees. Outlining what is lawful and ignoring the weightier issues. May God forgive us. I had fallen in the same trap of thinking that I am a good and honoring Christian and I am honoring God because of the vocation that I selected, or the person that I married, or that I didn't have sex before I was married, or staying or tithing. Everything else that we have formulated as honoring to God. Yet I ignore the needs of others. I focus on my own needs and my own ones, and I am quick to judge when others fail because I think I'm better than them. How wicked am I? Just a few things that I want to end with. Some applications. Jesus is not a Pharisee. I think some people think Jesus is a Pharisee. He came to save the world. He came to bring rest. Yet many, maybe even you, believe he comes to judge you. He is the water from the rock that brings refreshment to your weary soul. That is Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Christianity is a religion of grace and truth. Not just truth, not just grace, but grace and truth. God's truth is salvation 
in his son Jesus. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. False religion. Everyone is religious. You're not some exception to the rule if you say you don't believe in a religion. Everyone is religious in some form. They believe in something. They worship something. The question is, what is the truth of your worldview? What is the truth of your religion? What is the end result? Is your life meaningless? Is there hope in your future? Where is grace? Are you doomed to the judgment of karma? Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's not simply the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of everything. This is a great lesson from these two episodes on the Sabbath. He is the Lord of everything. He is the Lord over your families, over the church, over the government, over your work, over your money, over your studies. He is the Lord of everything. To do all these things properly is to do them to his glory, not to your own. Your work is not about your success. Your family is not about you achieving some parental award in the eyes of your friends. It is all holistically organized in Jesus Christ and under Christ. If it is not, you will not achieve the purpose. You will not achieve the purpose of it, and you will not achieve ultimate success if it's not under Christ or in Christ. Because He's the Lord of everything. He organizes everything. He gives meaning to everything. And lastly, God is compassionate and slow to judge. God gives you what you don't deserve. <clears throat> Trust Him, and He will give you rest. There's a, I don't know the last time we read Jonah. Jonah is a great little book. It take you like 20 minutes to read the whole thing. But you know, the, the, the tragedy of Jonah is, is that Jonah gets mad at God because God actually saves people that don't deserve it. Like he's mad. He's like, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I didn't want to go. I, I wanted to get on that boat and go away because I knew that if I go to Nineveh and I preach the gospel, that you're going to save people. And I don't want people to be saved. That's basically what happens. He's mad. That's what God is. He says, I know you, you God, you're compassionate and you're slow to anger and you're full of grace. And I don't want you to be full of grace. I want you to judge these people. That's what Jonah thought. That was his attitude. God is compassionate and slow to judge. Yeah, I have a friend named, um, uh, named Ryan who uh, is a student at USI and we'd always discuss and talk. And um, it was funny one day we were talking, it was like the millionth conversation we had about Jesus and he, uh, he said, so well, hold on a second, let me get this right. So being a Christian, he literally said this, is not listening to Caleb. Like he had this moment. Like, so being Christian doesn't mean you have to listen to that one radio station. Like he had this like reformation moment. Like it was a moment of like complete, like his head exploded. And I think there's this, this, this mindset that like to be Christian is to, to do these rules and regulations. But to be Christian, and this is the final thing I'm going to say, is to, be fully understand, to fully understand that your soul has been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ, and your life is not your own. It is his life, and he has caused you to love as he has loved and plead with people to trust him and receive rest. Some of you have been running your whole life to earn the favor and praise of this world. And we have come to believe it will give you the satisfaction and the peace you want, and it will not bring you rest. Only the Lord of everything can give you rest. Let's pray.